Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. I'm so excited to be introducing you to and interviewing two amazing speakers this morning. It's just such a privilege to be uh, able to introduce you to them. And uh, the Bible is really clear that, um, that testimony is, is so powerful. Um, 1 Peter 3 tells us that... Um, that I'm just going to read this. <laughs> to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. And Revelation 12 tells us that our testimony has power to overcome all kinds of hardship and testing. And so we've asked uh, these guys just to simply share their testimonies this morning. And so whilst that might seem really just lame, just really, just really simple, actually, it's a really powerful, really important thing for us because we need faith and, and testimony stirs faith up within us in order to stir hope up within us. Hope for ourselves, hope for our families, hope for our friends, hope for our work colleagues, um, hope for this new year, um, hope for this new Alpha course that we're starting, that something might stir within us. And so we need hope, don't we? And we need to believe that stuff might change within us, within our surroundings, um, for all that goes on. And so that's why we've simply asked them to share that more than just so that we can hear a good story, but so that something might change. And so that's what we've asked, that's what we're hoping for, and that's what we're expecting for this morning. So we're really hoping for great things to come from all that we're hearing from these guys this morning. So why don't we just really open our ears, open our hearts to God. And so no more from me. Uh, for that reason, I'm going to get on and introduce you to our first speaker, we're privileged, aren't we, to have so many incredible people uh, in our church. And so um, my first guest is no exception. It's a real honour uh, to be introducing you to my cousin, Chris Kachani. <laughs> I've had to write down uh, everything about him because I've been learning new things about Chris um, over this last couple of days. Chris is a hedge fund manager, I knew that, but I've also discovered Chris is currently focusing on impact investing. I have no idea what that is, but I think if you're in, into money, stuff, and funding, then that means something to you. Chris is the founder and director of two Christian charities which support Christian mission and church planting around the world, particularly focusing on, on changing the lives of people in third world countries. He's a trustee of 24-7, I know that, uh, prayer, and he's one of our Godalming uh, collective leaders, which, and he's doing the most amazing job there. But most importantly, he's a single dad of two teenage kid, kids, which alone deserves high praise and merit. I think he's doing a fantastic job, and I love Ella and Ethan massively. So why don't we give a massive round of applause for Chris Katani? 
and move that forward so I can see you. Does this work? Yes, it does. My first admission is I'm very clumsy and I've managed to pour water on my groin, so <laughs> I'm, uh, I haven't wet myself, just in case anyone's wondering. It's good to get that out there early. Um, so thank you for that introduction, Sammy. Well, you're very welcome. So, Chris, I'm going to come straight out with it. You've not always been a Christian, have you? Tell us a little bit about your faith journey and some of the stumbling blocks that you've faced along the way. Yeah, um, well, I guess the, the first and, and biggest stumbling block for me was, uh, was my father. And uh, when I was young, we moved over to America, and my dad was a computer uh, programmer, so we went over there, and he had a, had a great job over there, brought the young family, me and my two young brothers. And he was a great dad in many ways. He was very loving and kind to us. Um, you know, I still have vivid memories of, of times spent with him. But for whatever reason, he got into uh, the wrong crowd and he made some bad decisions. And it was probably a pretty stressful environment for him over there with three young kids and no support network. And the long and the short of it is that he got into drugs and goodness knows uh, what else. And uh, ultimately, that led to him um, checking out. I mean, I don't have a better word for it, really. He checked out, and um, there was a process over which he did that, but then one day he entirely disappeared. And uh, to this day, we still don't know what happened, and that's probably been the hardest thing to deal with. Did he kill himself? That was probably the highest probability, we were told. Um, but he may have died. He may have decided to start a new life. Who knows? So um, in my early faith walk, it was that was certainly a hard thing to come to terms with. I mean, who is God in all of that? And most importantly, who is God as father, and I was really struggling with unforgiveness. That must have been one of the hardest things to, to cope with, was your dad just deserting you. How did that um, help you to, to cope with the dad, with the God telling you that he's your father? Um, and what helped you then to step into faith, understanding that God's your father? Well, um I mean, it was a bit of a long journey for me. I uh, came back to the UK, and as you know, we stayed with you, and yes. uh, I think you may have moved rooms to accommodate me and my brother, so thank you again for that. And, You're very um, welcome. You, were, uh, uh, you and Pandy, your sister, um, were the first in the family to come to know Jesus and dragged us along to Revelation Church in Chichester. Uh, as a very shy and awkward teenager, um, that wasn't uh, a great fit for me at the time, frankly, and nothing to do with the amazing people there and, and the amazing church that it was. And I'd experienced a bit of kind of school chapel and the more formal religion. Mm -hmm. And that had, um, you know, had also had an impression on me. They both had. And I kind of wanted to live my life as well as I could. So I decided, well, let's just try and live by a set of rules. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a religious approach to, to, to living. But really, that was never going to work. And it didn't even work from the start, if I'm, if I'm honest. And I think over time, I just gradually found that I was living more and more for myself, my own ambitions. And um, if you fast forward uh, a few years, I um, had always wanted to be a trader in the city, um, so go figure. And uh, I was uh, just starting a trading career in, in the city. And uh, that kind of living for myself and, and living wildly was pretty easy to do on a trading desk in London. And you can imagine for all the reasons. So I ended up um, you know, finding myself in a club at 4 a.m. on a Tuesday, 
and I know the people uh, who are working there by first name and they know me and you know you've got a problem when you're in that type of situation. And for me, it was a little bit of a wake-up call. And I'm like, well, what am I doing? What do I want to do in my life? And this, this, it. And at the time, and we've had this great video of Alpha, um, but at the time, we, uh, you know, they're all, and they still are, all these Alpha signs on the buses. And there's that question mark, Alpha, the meaning of life. And it was a burning question inside of me. I had all these questions I'd ask people, but I didn't have the answers. So I turned up to Alpha and HCB, actually, and, and Nikki Gumbel, who started it, was leading the, the talks and found it just really uh, just a, a great environment to, w to ask questions. And uh, it, was, it, was a, you know, it was an interesting group. I mean, everyone in that group, like me, had questions, all pretty different, uh, to be honest. Uh, we had uh, an atheist, we had an anarchist, and a, and a devil worshipper. So uh, we, had, we had quite the crew. And, um, and they're thinking, oh, we got him. And, uh, because, I mean, it was about two sessions in. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fighting for Jesus here. I mean, this is obvious. I mean, what are we talking about? Um, so, yeah, it kind of, it, it didn't take me long to decide after starting Alpha that um, I really wanted in. And I'm just so thankful for that decision. Um, and, you know, just very, very briefly, I mean, instantly, um, you know, after coming to the Lord, there were some improvements for me. Um, you know, I instantly felt a little bit more peaceful and things felt a little bit better inside. But there was this whole process of trying to deal with the whole father issue that took, took a while. And I really remember this one specific point where I was just feeling low with it. I, I could see that the outcomes of, of, of how that was playing out in my life were, were not good. And I just, just prayed. I said, like, Lord, I need your help to forgive my father. And it was what I can only describe as an incredible answer to prayer. It was like literally, bang. Um, and, and I was able to forgive him, and there was just this inner peace has gradually grown uh, through him. And I'm just so thankful for that. That's amazing. Chris, so um, you talk about you were a trader, you've been a trader, you are a trader. You've had some successes. Tell us about some of, some of that. Yeah, well, I guess that alpha... Um, experience was really transformational for me and I came out of it thinking look I've always wanted to be a trader and I enjoyed doing it but you know what I'm willing to give that to God so whatever you want me to do I'll do it Lord and um, thankfully I didn't go off and do something I decided the best thing to do was maybe to pause and pray and I did I paused and prayed and I really felt the Lord was saying go to Bermuda now I know it's a tough call you know with the uh, with the sun and the blue waters, and <laughs> I won't go on. Um, but actually, what I was called to go there to do was to set up a, a hedge fund. And the, the heart behind setting up the fund was really to serve God. How can I impact the kingdom with the skills that I've been given? And so the fund structure was set up with a tithing structure. I really strongly believe in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see what will happen. And, um, and so we did that. And the, the charity... Uh, received at least 10% of the income of the fund. So in terms of the successes, um, yeah, I mean, after many years of, of hard work and a lot of prayer and um, that prayer being answered because our God is so incredible. And because we were there to serve God, I believe one of the reasons that he helped to bless it. So um, 2008 was a big litmus test for us. And the fund was actually up. Um, if anyone's been following the markets over that period, you'll know that that was a rough year. And um, really just thank God for that. And it was kind of like that point, it was like rolling the ball down the hill. Um, set up the world's first gold class for a hedge fund. Uh, we won various hedge fund awards, and the fund started to do well, and the money started rolling in. And 
Um, the great news about that, really, for me, I mean, okay, that, that's fine, the successes are fine, and to be honest, I've, it's a bit awkward even talking about it for me, but what was exciting was the fact that the money flew into the charity, and the charity was then able to do more, and um, it was really more of a foundation, not doing the work itself, but supporting others who are doing great works all around the world, and particularly with a focus on the poor and, and those in the, in the developing world. So all those successes had come, and we'd actually also set up a, or helped set up a, a house church in Bermuda, which was doing really well at the time as well. And so you'd have thought, I must have been on cloud nine. Um, it's fantastic, life's great. But internally, actually, funnily enough, I was, I was feeling a little bit dry and a little bit dead. And I was kind of like, God, what is going on? What's going on with this? I don't understand. And, you know, I spent some time in prayer, but as, as often happens, those of you with forceful mothers, you'll know that uh, my mother came to me and said, surely you know, Chris, you know, don't you know? Well, what? Well, when, when you were young, you used to tell us what you wanted to do. And you've achieved it. And I looked back and I thought, huh, I have, you know, and I could have retired if I wanted to. And so what? You know, honestly, I mean, the answer is so what? I mean, the goals that I'd set myself didn't really fulfill me. They didn't fill me with this, you know, this great joy. Um, and I'd kind of, I think what I learned from that really is that in the successes, and I guess in every part of life, but really in the successes, um, the joy really comes from using that to bless others. It's true to say, though, that you've also had a, f a fair few issues and difficulties along the way, too. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that, too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's been a, a tough few years. Uh, I feel like I'm coming out of that a little bit now, and I'm thankful for that. But it's, uh, it's definitely been a, a tough few years. I had a, a lot of issues uh, around family, um, family health, uh, the business, I mean, I'd love to land all of these today and go into them all, and maybe people would find that helpful. I just don't think I'm going to have time to do that today. Um, I'm happy to come back and speak about some of these things if, if people would, would find that helpful. But um, one that might be, might be vaguely uh, useful to mention is, um, is that I started the business and tried to run it as ethically as I could. And I was a bit surprised when the US regulator came on to me and said, well, we think you've, done, you've broken a rule. Now, actually, it's not as unfamiliar as it sounds. Those of you who have a car may consider speeding. Um, you know, in the investment industry, the rules are getting harder and whatever. Um, but when I looked at the rule, the, the, what they were talking about, what they were saying that we, we'd done, I just strongly felt we hadn't done it. And they kept on saying, well, we don't care, just pay us money. We want to, uh, there's a fine to be paid, you've got to pay the fine. And I, well, we, we haven't done anything wrong. Um, so uh, the long and short of it was we ended up taking what I thought was a, was a principal stand. I'm not going to pay. And... Um, I know that there may be a cost. Probably didn't realize the cost was going to be quite as extensive as it was. Ultimately, it cost the business. Um, a lot of investors weren't able to stay and yada, yada, yada. Um, but stuck, stuck to it, um, kept on plugging, kept on praying. And those prayers were answered uh, early last year, actually, and praise God, uh, where the, that case was won. And we was kicked out of court resoundingly. I mean, I guess the thing I say about that is that, you know... When you come, when I, when I've, I, on my walk, I mean, I've, I've come to know Jesus, and um, I'd love to say that it's all been easy since I have, and everything's been, been perfect. And the reality is, is that I had problems before, and I have problems after. Mm. And he never said that there weren't going to be problems. In fact, he said the opposite. Mm. There are going to be problems, but what the promise is, is he's going to be with us. Mm. And that was the thing that, that threw all these, these problems, is day to day, um, if anything, I've just felt like, I've got nowhere else to go. Yeah. 
you know, and yeah. I've got nowhere else that I'd want to be either, actually. And so um, these problems, I can't put them all together. I can't work out all the details of why everything has happened. But what I can say is that uh, I think I've grown deeper in my relationship with Jesus uh, through it, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. That's so brilliant. So out of all of this, what would you want to say to people from all that you've learned? What would you want to say to us from all that you've learned so far on your journey? Yeah, impossibly difficult with so many different people in different paces <laughs> in their walk in the room. But I mean, I, I would say for me, in my walk, I, I mean, this is the simple things I've learned that, that God's good. Mm. You know, he's much kinder than I expected. He's much more loving than I expected. Mm. And as someone who struggled with father issues, he's all of the father that I could ever want him to be. Mm. And, you know, he's walked with me and continues to do so. And it's um, this kind of journey where, you know, he gently, kindly helps me um, in various ways and, you know, gradually improving on character. I've still got a long way to go, but gradually helping uh, release and freedom. Um, and, you know, when I look back over my life, I can say that I don't think there's ever been a time where he's not been there. Now, that doesn't mean that I've always recognized it. That doesn't mean I've always heard his voice. Um, but I really believe now, looking back, that he is that red thread that's never, that's never, um, never varied. You know, he's always been there. And I've just been so, so blessed and, and thankful for that. So. Um, yeah, I mean, the other thing I'd say is, is that with the relationship that I have for him is through prayer. And you mentioned, you know, I'm, uh, well, I'm, I'm one of the trustees of 24 7's uh, uh, board. And um, one of the reasons that I took that role is because I believe so fervently in prayer. I mean, one of the reasons that Jesus died is so that we can speak to the Father through him. It's an unbelievable gift. All of those um, heroes of the Old Testament weren't able to. Uh, to interact with God in the way that we are with the Holy Spirit in us. And, and it's a, such an amazing gift. So I've seen so much answered prayer in my life that I can be so thankful for. Even this last season, we were talking about it in the collective recently, how many prayers we've seen answered. I mean, God has uh, healed people of various infections and headaches and um, given people new jobs and given them support, inner healing. And he's done that in my life as well. Um, so I just couldn't be more thankful for, for God, really. And I guess as I'm entering, I believe, a new season, um, the thing that I'm most set on, I don't know what's going to happen. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. But the thing that I'm most set on is that I want to do it with Jesus. Yeah. Chris, you're an incredible cousin. Thank you so, so much for coming and speaking to us. So, usually we just have one speaker, but I'm beyond excited to be able to introduce you to our second guest. Julia Imminent is, um, well, I don't know where to start. She's an international speaker, the author of this book uh, that I will show you now, Row for Freedom, which we do have available for you afterwards. She is a presenter for Sky Sports. She's an active campaigner against modern-day slavery. She's an avid sportswoman, and she's a double Guinness world record Atlantic Ocean rower. Okay, so um, before she comes up to speak, why don't we watch the video that's coming up? 
Every 30 seconds, somebody becomes a victim of human trafficking. I felt this compelling urgency to act. I wanted to make a difference, but I was completely overwhelmed. I thought, how can little old me ever make a difference to this overwhelmingly huge injustice? So this was the beginning of an incredible adventure, an amazing opportunity to retrace the transatlantic slave trade route and be a voice for the millions of slaves today who, who don't have that freedom. It was the hardest but the best thing that I've ever done. Sometimes I'd be rowing there at night on the 2 a.m. watch and just thinking, what on earth am I doing here in the middle of the Atlantic? The waves are lashing at me. We were cold, rowing 12 hours a day. We had blisters and sores and seasickness and, and just the sleep deprivation was so tough. But the mental battle was way harder. But when there's pain with purpose, it changes everything. And that figure of 36 million people in slavery is so overwhelming. I remember sometimes it just being so hard and so painful physically. I just didn't think that I could go on. But it's incredible what you find inside of you when you're tested. I found this person inside of me that I didn't know existed. We don't all have to row the Atlantic, but the great thing is that we can all do something. And something simply means allowing ourselves to be disturbed. It means opening our eyes to some of the awful things that go on in this world. My faith literally soared on that ocean. I prayed morning, noon and night when I was fearful. I literally had to pray and sort of declare God's promises over what I was feeling because at times it was just so tough. I didn't think I could go on. Having a constant conversation really with God. Sometimes they were prayers of just crying out, Lord, this is so tough. Sometimes they'd just be prayer of thanksgiving. Seeing these incredible breathtaking sunsets and sunrises, I would be so thankful. When we arrived, I was absolutely over the moon. As we came out of the harbour wall, my legs were shaking with adrenaline and excitement. It was the most unbelievable, indescribable feeling in the world. Just to be able to hold and hug my family was amazing. I didn't let them go for ages. I'd row the Atlantic again just for that feeling of joy, relief and sense of achievement. Row for Freedom is just the beginning. Our fight against the injustice of human trafficking continues. What will you do for freedom? Welcome, Julia, to the stage. <laughs> so, Julia, before we talk about your Atlantic adventure, why don't you tell us a bit about your background, how you became a Christian? Yeah, so... Um, Rewinding right back, um, my dad's Finnish from Finland and my mum's Scottish, so we were born, my sister and I, in central Finland, and we actually grew up in Lapland, just up the road from Santa Claus, which was quite handy as a kid. Um, and it was there that my dad was a pastor of a church, and, um, and it was, I can't remember those early years, um, but I can remember the sort of, um, the violence, my dad, we, we basically, um, really struggled for money. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't say we were poor, but yeah, enough to for there to be arguments. And, um, you know, I don't remember the violence, but it wasn't until sort of recently that my mum sort of said, yeah, you know, there'd be a black eye on a Saturday and then would be at church on a Sunday. And um, 
so I just remember that fear and that sort of tension of, of those early years. And then um, my mum and dad sort of, my dad grew up in an orphanage and has a whole host of, you know, awful things that happened to him. However, um, in the 80s, early 80s, my mum and dad felt really called to come because there were so many missionaries coming from Finland via sort of the UK Heathrow to the world. And... Um, so we moved to the warmer, sunnier climes of Costa del Slough, just up the road. And it was there that um, we moved. And if you asked me what my dad did, I, I don't know that I could really tell you. He was in and out of jobs. And he would himself tell you that he never quite got to grips with life here. And he just was a fish out of water. Just culturally, he just didn't quite fit in and um, so mum was the mum the dad the breadwinner this sort of everything and the pressure on her was so immense and 10-15 years all these missionaries sort of coming through our doors and hosting and um, and I just remember the hypocrisy of you know broken coffee cups smashed on the um, on the hallways or you know dad chucking things at mum in the kitchen and smashing the cooker and then it being broken for years after and and just this violence so yes it was a Christian home but the hypocrisy of then coming to sit at church and go to Sunday school and my dad sort of hitting mom and us sometimes, but not so much. But I would just go in my room and just shut the door and, you know, just kind of blocked it all out. And I, I knew Jesus growing up. I, you know, was one of the kids running around and I, and I really knew God. But just the hypocrisy and the fear and the tension of growing in, in that kind of environment was really tough and I'd go to all the sort of kids camps and everything and just wish that our family was a bit different I thought we were so abnormal I thought everybody else was normal and we were so sort of dysfunctional and then um so this void of my father was huge and as a teenager without really knowing it that void of my dad as Chris you know I resonated so much with that um that void of my dad or for you it could be a void in another way but we all have those voids and those gaps and those deep places of longing and for me um I went into these my first relationship seven and a half year relationship he um played professionally, turned professional um, while we were together. And um, we moved up to Sheffield. Um, he played at Sheffield Wednesday. And it was there that um, I remember going to church sometimes and just so wanted to be part of church, but felt so far away from God. And then he was a player in every sense of the word, so biffed him, got rid of him, and then went straight into this second relationship with a guy who was a Muslim, and um, just, I became a carbon copy of my mom. I did media at university up there. We moved back to Slough because I wanted to work at Sky, and, and it was there that it was alarming, actually, that at the sort of the end of that relationship, four and a half years into that, second relationship, I was a carbon copy of my mum. I had tens of thousands of pounds of debt. I would sometimes run home. I think it was like eight minutes from our flat to my mum and dad's and, you know, in my pyjamas with no shoes on with slap marks around my face. And I mean, I talk about it now and it just feels like such a world away. But that was, that was the reality. And by the grace of God, that relationship did end and only because he walked out and just never came back, thank God, because I just didn't feel strong enough to kind of get out of these dysfunctional relationships. And then um, I moved back home, which was a tough thing. I think I was 27 
moved back home and um, I think it was on the Wednesday and just to go back home to sort of dad who I hadn't really had a relationship with um, and you know somebody might have an affair or somebody yes might do wrong things but you sure as heck make them pay for it and I remember sometimes I would just catch myself in the mirror and it was ugly how I would speak at dad and I kind of really made him pay for what he did and was actually really horrendous to him but Anyway, and then my sister was just about to get married. She was doing the marriage preparation course at Holy Trinity Brompton in London. And, um, and, I, and she just said to me, Julia, should we go to church on the Sunday? And um, I just thought, well, I'm heartbroken and I've got nothing better to do. So, yeah. So we went to church and I heard somebody giving an Alpha testimony. And um, it was this sort of football Chelsea hooligan. And I love football. So I, I don't know, just something about his sort of really broken story and how, how he had really been, I don't know, he had just met God and um, his life had really changed. And I thought, I, I just need that. And, um, and at the end of the service, um, Nikki Gumbel said, if you feel like giving up, come to the front and somebody will pray for you. And I did. I just didn't, didn't care sort of who saw me or, you know, I just went to the front and somebody prayed for me. And that was kind of the start of my journey of coming back home. And then Nikki Gumbel said, if you um, have never done Alpha, I sort of considered myself to be a Christian, but not, I don't know, where I was. Um, and it was starting the following week. And I, I just, it wasn't kind of the thing that I would normally do, but I did. I went on Alpha the next week. Amazing. So how did... Uh, your relationship with Jesus change you? Yeah. What, what changed when you came to know Jesus? Yeah, so Alpha um, was sort of the beginning of that journey. And I really am like the prodigal daughter. I just sort of, that was the start of my journey of coming back home to my faith. And I, um, I remember just week by week, you know, there's thinkers and feelers, and I'm definitely a feeler, but just to hear that evidence of who Jesus was and is and how that's relevant to my life and not just of what I've been brought up believing, but who is Jesus for me? And everything that I knew of God to be true as a kid just dropped from my head to my heart. Again, I think I sort of had the head knowledge over those years while I was really away from God. And, um, and just that father hunger that I had, you know, whilst I have a earthly father it really marred my image of my heavenly father and Jesus is you know God is a good good father and I just felt experienced um fell in love with my heavenly father again and you know I I actually abandoned my faith because I thought it would restrict the fun and the sort of um, good times that you can have sort of outside of God. But actually what I found to be true is that the adventure that God can lead you on when you say yes is more thrilling, more satisfying, more incredible and mind-blowing than if we could try and do this life on our own. And it has, he, led, he has led me on the most incredible, life-changing adventure. Amazing. <laughs> so, modern slavery, how did you become so passionate yeah. about about yeah. modern slavery. Yeah, and um, we were chatting earlier, and I just sort of said, like, I genuinely, um, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I think it was now, um, I came back to my faith, and after about a year of God really dealing with a lot of unforgiveness and um, 
things aren't like perfect with dad, but you know, with mom and dad yesterday, we were just walking arm in arm and I just thought, wow, like it has been a, a long process of forgiveness, but you know, it's not, it wasn't instant for me, but it has been an amazing journey and things are good with my family. Um, I've forgotten your question. Sorry. <laughs> I go around the houses and then I forget where I'm at. No, 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 no. I'm oh, what is slavery? That was it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. So, um, so after coming back to my faith, I just after about a year of God dealing with things in me, I saw all these people my age, you know, just um, serving on the homeless shelter, plugged in, not just spectating but participating, making a difference. So I just thought, well. In all my years, I've cared more about what shoes I've got, what handbags I've got, and it's so shallow, like really it is. Um, but I was so ignorant, so I didn't really care, if I'm honest about. I mean, I kind of thought that's what other people did. I never really thought that I could actually help play my part in some part in, in changing things in this world. And um, and I watched the film Taken with Liam Neeson. Some of you may have seen it, and I watched in horror um, and just thought that's just a film and then a few months later I was at this um, women's church conference and learned about modern day slavery and realized that everything in that film was true and worse and there's about um, 45 million people estimated to be in slavery today and about 13,000 right here on our doorstep in the UK and I just thought and it was a God-given passion. I have I saw my mom as a dietitian growing up be so passionate about um, her field. And I always wondered, will I ever be passionate about something? And just to wake up with purpose and just to know that, yes, I've got my sky job, but this is they've seen me become so passionate about this. And, you know, with sport being a big part of my world, an initial half marathon with a long story, you'll have to read the book, um, uh, turned into rowing the Atlantic. And, and that was... I mean, who knew, you know, like, God just led me on this life-changing adventure. It's hilarious, because he would pick the most unqualified, you know, I'd never sat in a rowing boat before, didn't know how to lead a crew of girls, you know, just complete rookies, but it was such an adventure, and utterly life-changing, and physically, of course, painful, rowing 12 hours a day, but mentally, excruciating but when you've met women men and children who have been trafficked who've gone through hell it's not okay and we can do something about it and I along with many others in this room um, I was in India in November with Justice and Care to see their work and I prayed that prayer God break my heart again for this and it's a really dangerous prayer just to you know, I guess years ago I prayed that, you know, Lord, I'm available, you know, how can I make a difference? And I, I went to India and sure enough, God smashed my heart to smithereens again for this and I'm all the more passionate to make a difference for it. So you just said you didn't know how to row, um, which to me is like, uh, okay, I mean, I'm not a sports person. People, people won't be surprised <laughs> to hear this. Um, but, I mean, I've heard it said that more people have climbed Everest than have rode the Atlantic. And 
That certainly doesn't... I mean, it surprises me. I mean, it surprises me that anyone climbs the Atlantic, Frank, um, climbs Everest, frankly, um, as well as rose the Atlantic. But the fact that you never rode before and then you just... Dis well, what made you just decide... Yeah. To row the Atlantic? What, yeah. What, what, why? That was, um, so my best friend, Steph, her ex-boyfriend had rowed the Atlantic and we were both sort of newly single and, and, you know, she just said to me, Julie, I think thinking she would row the Atlantic and I just sort of was stretching it after. It was like, yeah, you know, it was just like, um, you know, maybe start with a marathon. That's like brutal enough. But yeah, like, I don't, I just don't know what we were on because it just was better. I don't know. With it was, I was sort of new coming back to my faith, and I just felt like anything was possible with God. And why shouldn't we dream audacious prayers? And I um, was so passionate about this, and going into my bosses at Sky and saying, you know, I'm going to row the Atlantic, and and then actually they just thought I was crazy, but they supported. They just kind of, you know, got behind it. And so my best friend pulled out. Then I was going to be part of this. Um, record attempt crew of girls um, I had to pull out because my mum suffered I guess these last 30 years just all caught, caught up on her her business failed as she suffered this whopping mental breakdown and um, while I was on our church holiday God um, there were some women who prayed for me who didn't know me at all and one of them said oh I see a path of angels clapping across an ocean and this other lady said oh um, I see a picture of you in a boat with authority over the storms and I said oh it's funny I feel like God's calling me to row the Atlantic <laughs> and um, had, had God not given me such a clear um, confirmation I just would have given up and then that crew ended up sort of falling apart and then the race organiser said, we know how passionate you are to do this. Why don't you put together your own Row for Freedom crew? And I just, you know, th those waves that we face, those 50-foot waves, the size of houses, 15-metre-high waves. I mean, you might be one of my dear friends at Sky, um, just lost his wife a few weeks ago and he's w w um, facing these waves of grief now or whatever you might be you know going through and our problems can be so insurmountable and and overwhelming and the, the fear was so paralyzing on the ocean but the only thing yes it was this cause but we had one other Christian and two agnostic and no two atheists and one agnostic so we were a whole you know mixed bag on that boat and you know one of the girls who was the atheist just said you know, your, your prayers just are so soothing. They send me off to sleep, you know. Um, but it was, it was just, all I had was God out there and he was everything. And my emotions were like those waves, ever changing, ever fleeting. And the only thing that was an anchor and steady and faithful and true was God and what he said about the circumstances and despite my feelings, he was faithful and he is faithful. And, you know, those waves of life, of course, hit us at times. And, but just my anchor, I know who my hope is in and that is immovable and, it, you know, it, it's not like the ocean. He, yeah, he's faithful and, and I know that with him, I don't know, I gained this big perspective in life that, 
this life is a blink in the scale of eternity. And, you know, that relationship with God, it just changed, changes everything, our perspective in life, yeah. So you broke two world records. Although we've lost one now. These girls beat us, damn it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they beat us. And actually this guy, um, this crew just got in yesterday and they we did it in 45 days and um he got that all this crew of four yeah they just got in in 29 days so sub 30 i mean it's all down to the conditions and they had an amazing um amazing conditions but wow they yeah amazing that yeah it's great it's good records are there to be smashed <laughs> but yeah we lost one okay so you, you did be, have two you've now got one. the one but you had the two. Yeah. yeah. So how would, you, how would you encourage people to achieve things for God? What, what would you say yeah. is, the, is the... So there was a boat in our race called Dream It, Do It. And um, I thought a lot about um, this couple who rode the Atlantic. If you could row the Atlant Atlantic as a married couple, you'll, you'll be good forever because it's gruesome. But, um, but this, this crew, their boat was called Dream It, Do It. And I, I just, I don't know, it's like my motto in life because it's easy to dream dreams. It's important, but that's yeah. the easy part. And the doing part, you know, people see the sort of the world records and, you know, our crew sort of speaking and, you know, it can all look great, but actually behind the scenes, it was gruesome, it was tough, it was gritty. And that doing part of a dream is simply grit, having this whatever it takes attitude and this resilience and fortitude and perseverance and remembering why you started. And mm. so many people, when the challenges of life come, they sort of down tools, they down oars and they give up and they fail to reach their full destiny and potential. And, you know, I think the naivety was such a blessing, not knowing actually being a complete rookie never rode, like that was probably a good thing. Had I known what was to come, I, I, I wouldn't have done it. And I would just say, do it afraid. If you've got a dream of whether it's, you know, starting a business or, do you know, I would rather have failed trying than failed to try at all. Yeah. And, you know, God would have been God and he would have helped us. And, you know, whether we made it or whether we didn't. And, you know, I'm so glad that we did so that we could, you know, for years later share the story. And, and I just believe that He's got oceans of adventure for every single one of you, whether, you know, not the Atlantic, but it might be just actually getting out of bed in the morning because you've been struggling with mental health, or it might be, yes, running a 5K, or, you know, yes, yeah, starting that business. God has got um, an adventure for you, and I just have this urgency in life that people know him because God is incredible, and I feel like I've won the crown jewels or the lottery for that relationship, and um, and just, yeah, he, he's got an incredible adventure for you, and if you've never done Alpha before, uh, the worst thing that will happen is that you'll probably make two really great friends out of it, and it's just such a special journey, and one that gently, for me, you, you can meet the God of the universe. And I, I saw those shooting stars at night when I was bawling and I didn't think I could keep going, but I just saw his handiwork and was buried in it and just was in awe and wonder of his, his goodness and his kindness. Amazing. So, Julia, tell us about your book. Um, yeah, I had never wanted to ever really write a book, but it was it was a real God thing because um, I remember sort of 
I always sort of say with public victories always come private battles or with any victories in life for that matter. And um, yeah, so whilst leading this crew of girls and it was literally the week that I kind of said I'm going to row the Atlantic and I went for, um, or a few weeks later we started training with our rowing trainer and I got a call saying from dad saying that mum's suicidal, like she's... Um, you know, harming, and we, yeah, like, just get here, so I just ditched the session and went, and and it was the start of a really painful journey, and just to see my mum um, deteriorate, and my mum, a few years back, could, well, seven years ago, probably now, could do press-ups better than me, she was just healthy, and um, fit, and active, and, and to see her just mentally deteriorate, and was sectioned, and in a psychiatric ward for months. It was the most painful time of my life. And, and whilst with all this row going on, and, and I just remember driving home from the psychiatric ward one night and just waving to her at the window, and I just hated sort of leaving her. And, um, and I just remember just journaling, journaling with tears so often on my knees. And I just remember the Holy Spirit just so clearly saying to me, Julie, just keep writing. You're going to write a book. And I was just like, I couldn't even care right now about that. But I just was so, yeah, I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And I had journals of, journals and journals and journals of my, yeah, the feelings and the emotions and the row with, you know, my writing was all over the place on the Atlantic, but I journaled. And, and then, so it, it's one with, yes, the wind and the waves and the row and the grit and the, pain but also the real personal journey and it was hard for my dad to read the manuscript you know and hear about read about you know the violence and he said Julie I didn't know that's how you felt with you know a lot of it but it's been I'd say this row as much as I did it to help you know people in slavery I feel like I needed it as much as it needed me and the the sort of freedom that it's brought my family has been huge and we're still not perfect but I've come to realize that we've all got our you know we've all got our troubles as families and and actually we impress with our strengths but we connect through our vulnerabilities so it's pretty raw and vulnerable and I I'm glad it's that way because that's real life isn't it that sounds <laughs> Incredible. Thank you for sharing that. So finally, is there anything else that you'd like to say to anyone wondering, well, firstly, what this has all been about, or secondly, just whether faith in Jesus is something that could be for them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, like, um, Alpha was just a really gentle journey for me, and um, God is so kind. You know, kindness actually is such a... Um, I think kindness is holiness and God just was so kind to me and he knows every hair on our heads he does rejoice over us with singing and whether you feel really far away from God or you sort of kind of believe but you're not sure and I just think it's such an incredible course that um, it became the highlight of my week I so looked forward to it some of my um, two of my best friends now I met on that very first alpha course and yeah, I couldn't encourage you enough to do it, to explore, to wrestle with the questions. I learned more by other people's um, questioning some weeks. I was just quiet and listened to them and just learned so much by them. And I've done many since, and every course I learned something. You know, we never arrive. And um, 
it's just a continual journey. It's a continual adventure. And I don't know, I'll buy you dinner if you don't like it. <laughs> I think you'll really enjoy it. And the food's really good. You'll just meet some amazing people. So, yay. Dream it, do it. Julia, thank you so much. It's just been a privilege to meet you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you.